We read God's Word from the Old Testament this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. In our sermon passage, we're going to consider the Christian irony that God makes us weak so that we can boast in His strength. And here, as we see David anointed the king, we see uh, the irony as well here, the reversal that God does not choose uh, the best-looking king as man would judge, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, this is the word of God. Do give your attention to it. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and, and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down here till he comes. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is God's word from the Old Testament. Please turn with me as well. God's word from the New Testament and our sermon text this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, again, the word of God to you. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. 
Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. As far as the reading of God's word, you may be seated. I always find the Easter season one of great delight as we look forward to celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus on Easter Sunday. And I know that, I know in our Reformed circles, we know that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Lord's Day as the risen Lord is proclaimed here from the pulpit. But Easter is a time when our minds gravitate specially towards the empty tomb that Jesus walked out and conquered death itself, that our resurrection and our hope is secured by this historical event that happened some 2,000 years ago. And as we come to Paul's letter in the Corinthians, Paul's had a a lengthy back and forth with the Corinthian church, several letters back and forth. There's been all manner of problems, uh, and and Paul has been trying to press home the point of the gospel to them uh, from all the way back in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he told them, uh, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And Paul here in in 2 Corinthians 12 is trying to impress upon uh, the Christian church the necessity of finding strength, not in ourselves, but in that risen Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul doubles down on what looks like folly. That the message of the resurrection of Jesus comes with it a message of profound weakness. That we who hear this message and believe, we believe that we are weak. We believe that we are so weak and needy that we cannot save ourselves. As we've confessed with the words of the Heidelberg Catechism earlier in this worship service, we confess and we believe that we cannot do one single thing that can stand on its own before the judgment seat of God and point to it and say, that was good. 
No, we confess that we are weak. We confess that we need a Savior. We need this very Jesus. We need the resurrection power of God. When I, when I spoke on this text at, at Redeemer, I asked the kids to consider, you know, do you like losing when you play a game? Or do you like getting bad grades on your homework, on your tests? Of course. No. We don't like the things that expose our weaknesses. We don't like when we fail. It not only aggravates our sinful pride, it aggravates our very Western American tendencies to think that we have it in us to accomplish whatever it is before us. We think that we can do it. And Paul comes and Paul starts boasting of his weaknesses and he points the church to Christ and he points us to the power of God in Christ. And Paul tells us in this text that God will expose our weaknesses to teach us to trust in His strength. And brothers and sisters, that is what God will be doing among you in your Christian walk. He will expose your weaknesses so that He can teach you to increasingly trust in His strength, that very strength of the resurrection power of Jesus Himself. I want us to consider this in three parts from the text here in verses 1 through 10. Uh, first, God will expose your weaknesses. We're going to look at that in verses 1 through 7. Second, in verses 7 through 9, God will tell you no. So God will expose your weaknesses. God will tell you no. And finally, verses 7 through 10, we consider that God does this so that you would be content in His strength. He will, exp- he will expose your weaknesses. He will tell you no. And He will teach you to be content in His strength. Paul here, uh, beginning in, in verse 1, where he's talking about this boasting. Uh, Paul is in, a, in the middle, this is sort of the climactic section here of a lengthy defense that Paul has been giving for his ministry. There's been some kind of turmoil between the Corinthian church and Paul where the Corinthians are tempted to think, I don't really know if I should listen to this Apostle Paul. There's these other men that have been going around in the church, uh, the so-called super apostles. We don't really know too much about this group other than uh, Paul has called them false teachers. Uh, And uh, we'll look at that a little bit more if you return this evening from chapter 11. Uh, But uh, Paul here is defending his ministry against those who are boasting of Worldly greatness. There's these super apostles in the church, and they look really good. You know, these were the, the flashy speakers. Earlier in the letter, Paul said that, you know, they or implied that they had letters of recommendation behind them. Uh, they looked really impressive, and Paul, Paul doesn't look so impressive to the Corinthians. And Paul here is, is trying to, uh, to direct the eyes of the Christians in Corinth away from these things that look really great and really strong in a worldly sense to see the genuine message of the cross of Christ embodied in the Apostle Paul. And Paul says that uh, God has been at work to expose his weaknesses. Paul here uh, describes a a spiritual experience that he had uh, some 
years ago, 14 years ago, verse 2. It might not be obvious on a first read who, who is Paul talking about here uh, in, uh, in verses 1 to 2. He says, I know a man in Christ 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And on a first read, you might wonder, well, who is this man? What's Paul talking about? Uh, but uh, from the context and from uh, verse 7 in particular, uh, it is clear that uh, Paul is talking of himself here. Uh, the revelations, verse 7, that were given to Paul are the same as the revelations that this man experienced up in uh, verse 2. So 14 years before Paul was writing this letter to the Corinthians, God had given him a, a special spiritual high. Uh, right where, where Paul had been caught up to uh, the innermost heaven and given a vision of paradise, verse 3. And he was told things, verse 4, that he was not allowed to utter. So God gave to Paul a unique vision that was just for him. It was just between God and Paul. It was 14 years earlier in, in this, so that would have been in the very early days of Paul's uh, call as an, apostle, as an apostle after his Damascus Road conversion. Uh, from Saul to Paul. Uh, so God gave to him a, a, a special vision, perhaps preparatory for his calling to serve as an apostle. And uh, if any of you have ever had a so-called spiritual high, right? Maybe you've, uh, maybe you've had a time in your life when you've really been on fire with the Lord. You feel like you're really just keeping in step with the work of the Spirit. Maybe you've gone to a conference and heard some just top tier uh, preaching and teaching on God's word and been really excited for the faith. You know the, the kind of excitement that comes along with that. And you know also that there, there can be dangers with that of, of becoming uh, too excited, too uh, conceited on newfound knowledge and growth in grace. I can't imagine what it would be like to have a special vision of paradise uh, that is so unique that God says, Seal that up. You can't tell anyone about it. I mean, imagine the temptation to think that you would be really hot stuff if God took you individually, just you, nobody else, and gave you a vision of heaven. Well, Paul says that despite that, the thing that he will boast about is his weakness. He says... Verse 5, in his current state, he will not boast except of his weaknesses, even though he could, he could boast of his credentials like the super apostles were doing. But God has humbled Paul. And despite giving him this surpassing, surpassingly great revelation, verse 7, God gave to him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. And he says twice there, it was to keep him from becoming conceited. Scholars have debated for centuries, ever since the early church, what is this thorn in the flesh? There's no, conceit, there's no agreement on this. We really don't know. Uh, there's not enough detail either in the word that, that Paul uses that gets translated thorn, or in the context here. There's no real way uh, for us to know uh, what precisely Paul was referencing here. So this could have been a, a bodily ailment, some kind of physical affliction that God had given to him and refused to take away. This could have been uh, some kind of antagonistic or difficult relationship, uh, right through the language of a messenger of Satan, uh, that 
that was given to Paul that God would not remove. Uh, it's, and some commentators speculate that perhaps this was some uh, besetting sin or some moral struggle that Paul had internally uh, that he was unable to achieve the kind of victory from that he hoped and prayed for. And uh, some commentators speculate that uh, even the Corinthians perhaps were unlikely to know what Paul was referencing specifically here. And I think that as we read this and we receive this as God's word, it's actually, I think, quite telling that Paul is so general uh, with this language, because I'm sure that many of you have known this experience of God giving to you providentially some kind of thorn in the flesh. Again, whatever form that takes, a particular relationship that is just almost unbearably difficult to know how to deal with or to endure. Or struggles with the indwelling sin where we say with Paul from Romans 7 that uh, the evil that I do not want, this I keep on doing, and the good that I want to do, this I fail to do. And you don't have to live very long to either go through severe physical affliction, struggles with health, either with yourself or with loved ones in your family. Lessons that I know I and my family have learned fairly painfully in recent years with our daughter's battle with cancer. God humbles us, and he will expose your weaknesses. And though God does allow those times of, uh, of real genuine joy and triumph and high to come, they do not last, and God will bring us down and humble us. God will not allow us to become conceited and to become caught up in self-sufficiency God will do things to expose your weaknesses. He will send thorns into your life that are personally crafted to be painful to you. And they'll be unique to you. And if you have an understanding of the Christian faith where you expect that in this life, it's going to feel like a kind of Christian triumphalism at every point, where at every point you're experiencing victory and strength. You have misunderstood what God tells us. We follow after the pattern of Christ, Christ who conquered death through death, through weakness, conquering sin. We follow after him. And God will expose our weaknesses. God will not allow us to become conceited. God will humble us before him. He will humble you. And you should expect that there will be prolonged seasons of your Christian life where you do not feel strong, where you do not feel capable, where you do not feel like you can boast of anything that's going on in your life except for the grace and the mercy of God. And brothers and sisters, that is exactly where God delights to have us. that we might learn to boast of his strength. And in those times where God exposes your weakness, where God sends a thorn, God will sometimes tell you no when you plead with him about it. And we see this. Uh, it's, it's always a, a great delight as a pastor to give this kind of bad news. Everyone, you know, it's, it's great to 
to preach sermons and to talk amongst one another about the power of prayer and how God delights to hear our prayers. And those things are true. God tells us that. He tells us he's our heavenly father. He knows what's good for us. He delights to hear the prayers of the saints. He wants us to cry out to him. And so Paul does this. Uh, Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Uh, And that frequency there, three times, this was, you can think of kind of threefold prayers. Uh, You know, Paul here is signaling that he, he prayed fervently. He prayed completely that the Lord would take this thorn away. Whatever this thorn was that was harassing him, that was causing him pain and sorrow. He pleaded with the Lord three times, and God told him no. God's response, verse 9, he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And brothers and sisters, sometimes this is what God will do for us as believers as well. There will be times when there is something deeply painful and deeply troubling in your life that you plead with God about. Maybe even that you plead with Him about for years. Where God will tell you no. We should expect that God hears our prayers, but at the end of the day, we pray that, Lord, Your will be done. And sometimes you will find that God's will in suffering, is to tell you no and to teach you and to teach us this lesson here in verse 9, where God teaches us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How do you respond when God tells you no? If you're anything like me, I suspect that that causes a, a, a great wrestling match between uh, yourself and the Lord internally. I know when uh, you know, I, I served as, uh, as a church planter in a relatively rocky mission work for six and a half years, and uh, we would pray eagerly for that that would go well, and then in the end, uh, between uh, my, my own family's health struggles with my daughter and COVID and a variety of other things, uh, coming church discipline matters that we had had in a mission work, uh, God gave us the answer of no. And I took that very personally. I, I took that as a, a very personal rejection of my prayers for six and a half years for what the Lord would do. And there was a season of intense wrestling with the Lord. I was not happy with God about that answer. And I don't know. I don't know if Paul... Paul was certainly far more sanctified than I am. And Paul, in the text here, he, he quickly uh, turns around and ver- end of verse 9 says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I wonder how long it took Paul to move from that no answer in verse 9 uh, to boasting of his weaknesses. I suspect there was at least some amount of time, even if for the Apostle Paul perhaps it was only minutes, uh, where he had to wrestle through that. You should expect to wrestle with the Lord over this. We fool ourselves if we think that when when deeply important, painful matters of our life, we bring them and lay them out before the Lord repeatedly, and God doesn't hear those prayers, or He does hear those prayers and makes it explicitly clear that His answer is no. No. 
that takes some working through on our behalf. And brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in the middle of a season now uh, where you have unanswered prayers or you have, uh, or you have things where it does seem like the Lord is telling you no, how are you responding to him about that? Are you, do you find your heart rebelling against God, growing angry at him or despairing, believing the lies of the devil that God does not love you, God does not hear your prayers or God does not care? These things are not true. Rather, when God tells us no and permits us to suffer, God is teaching us something very different. He is not teaching us that he doesn't love us. He's not teaching us that he's left us. He's not teaching us, as Israel concluded, unbelieving Israel uh, in in the book of Numbers, who uh, a portion of them concluded, God is leading us into the wilderness to die. That's not what God is doing. God is teaching us that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. And as as you reflect on this, I, I invite you to consider... Could this be any other way? Given what we believe in our faith about the Lord Jesus. What does the scripture say? It says that it was through death that Jesus conquered the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, Hebrews chapter 2. If our Savior came not as the earthly conqueror to kick out the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom in the way that some of Israel wanted, but he came rather to be the suffering servant king who would die for us, who would wear a crown not of gold, but a crown of thorns, and who would conquer death and sin through his own death. And in some sense, there is no greater weakness than dying. It should not surprise us that then a major component of the Christian life is that God exposes our weakness, tells us no when we ask him to change that, so that we would learn to trust his grace and to find our power not in ourselves, but in the power of Christ Jesus, our crucified and risen Lord. And this is ultimately Paul's point for the Corinthians here, that they would find contentment with God's strength. That this would be what they were looking for. Not earthly greatness, not worldly triumph, but the power of God demonstrated in Christ. Paul concludes at the end of this, he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When your weaknesses are exposed and God will not take them away, how do we respond? Is our response to to look to Jesus and to boast of his power? That's what Paul suggests and tells us we ought to be doing. That we should be directing our eyes away from our own weaknesses to the power of Christ. And God will demonstrate that power in the midst of and through our weaknesses. You can even think of how God works in the world. Well, God uses, uh, in the language of Paul's earlier letter to the Corinthians, the 
foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Right? We have a world lost in sin. We ourselves are needy sinners. And how does God uh, come and save us? Not with some uh, obvious miracle, but rather with the invisible, supernatural, miraculous work of the Holy Spirit that attends the ordinary preaching of the Word, administration of the sacraments, and prayer. Those means of grace that we have given to us by God. Things that look very weak. There's no obvious intuitive human connection for why uh, the preaching of the word should be effective to save souls. There's no obvious, uh, obvious reason that when you read the word of God, uh, that that should have any power to affect change in your life. And yet, this is how God works. He works through his word. He works through his spirit. He saves sinners. And he promises that one day... Even if the Lord Jesus tarries and we find that all of us have returned to the dust, he will give to us new resurrection life. This is the power of Christ. It is the power of the empty tomb. And it comes through our confession of weakness and our knowledge of our own weakness. So brothers and sisters, I ask you, when you are weak, Do you find your strength in the Lord Jesus? Have you considered deeply the essence of the Christian faith, which has at its heart a message of when we are dead and quite literally unable to do anything because we have been known by God and responded to him with faith, the Lord Jesus will raise our bodies up on the last day. We will one day, most likely, unless the Lord Jesus returns, we will one day most likely embody that ultimate weakness of death. And yet we look to Jesus and we see that he rose from the dead and that the power of Christ does rest upon us by faith. And so we know that in the end, we are victorious, not because of our own strength, but because of the strength of Jesus and in spite of our own weaknesses. There's no better time to rejoice in that message and in that hope than when God makes you weak. There's no better time to rejoice in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus than when you find that you are suffering, when you are dependent upon Him, when you find that you are not able in yourself to deal with what is in front of you, those are the times when God can work most powerfully to show you His strength and the power of His resurrection and the power of His Son. I was reminded as I was driving over this morning of the verse in Amazing grace, when this heart and flesh shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. That's the kind of boasting that Paul is directing us to here, boasting of our weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon us. 
that our moral efforts will fail. Our mortal flesh is dying and wasting away. And yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day by the power of Christ. And the end of that renewal is resurrection life. A life of joy and peace. Where there will be no more thorns in the flesh. No more messengers of Satan to harass us. No more temptations to becoming conceited. But perfect joy and peace in the resurrection. Knowing and experiencing what we see by faith now. The power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us fix our eyes upon him, even as we go to him now in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the good news of our salvation, that Jesus did walk out of the tomb, that he is alive and lives forevermore to intercede for us, even for us who know ourselves to be weak and needy, to have nothing good in and of ourselves to boast about. Lord, we uh, just thank you that we can turn our eyes to Jesus and even in our moments of deepest need and sorrow and weakness, even when uh, we know that you are exposing our weaknesses, that we can look to Jesus and we can know the power of his resurrection and we can know the hope to which we have been called that as Jesus lives, we also will live. And so we ask, Lord, that uh, we would not lose heart, that we would be those who endure sufferings, who endure hardships and persecutions and insults and calamities, that we would know that when we are weak, we are strong, because our strength is not ultimately our own. For we cast ourselves upon King Jesus, who is ruling and reigning over all things. And we ask that our boast would be his strength and power. And we pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves before you. And that we would have an increasing confidence that your grace is sufficient. That you have given to us all that we need. That you are not holding back from us that which is good. But as you have given to us your Son... And you have given to us grace and salvation in his name. That this is enough. Help us, Lord, to content ourselves with this. That we would love you more. That we would be filled with the assurance of our salvation. Even in this present evil age. Where suffering and sorrow continue. And where sin still remains. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And by his power. Amen.